As you're going back, if you would, please turn to the letter to the Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 5. I know we're reading the same passages from last week. Liz Bud must have thought, man, he's really losing it. <laughs> we're doing the same passage. But I did say in my sermon last time that we want to look at this more closely. It's so important. It's so serious that we need to look, take a closer look at this passage. Let me pray for our time in the Word, and then I will read. Father, we thank you for this privilege that we have to hear the word above all words. In the end, this word will stand, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. And Father, we ask that you would help us now to focus, that you would cause us to listen, that we would put aside the cares of this world, even though we bear many burdens, I know, as we come here at times, or we have other things we'd like to do, but we ask that neither one of these would choke out this time that your word would have preeminence, that by your spirit we would have our eyes opened and behold great and marvelous things from your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word, I'll start in verse... um, I'm sorry. From 5.11, and I'll read until 6... Hear the word of living God. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain and that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through through faith and patience inherit the promises. As we've seen over and over again, we have this sluggish group of people who are the hearers here in Hebrews. It can mean lazy. They're not paying attention to uh, the oracles of God. They're not paying attention to the word. And they're, they're showing fruits that are not in accordance with being a Christian. And the writer is very concerned, and so he gives us his grave warning 
this grave warning, which is part of the Word of God, of the whole Word of God, that's supposed to be there along with Romans 8 and all the other blessings that we see, that this, in God's wisdom, is important for us to know because it's part of the total package, as Ed said, of the whole Word of God. And I want to I start off with a couple of illustrations that might help us pre- prepare us to hear these things. As I was thinking over this over the, over the last week, it's interesting that in John's Gospel, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus breathes on his apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's a very interesting passage. I thought, what is going on there? You know, in this world, if somebody breathes on you, at least my students say, your breath stinks. You know, people did not like that. But Jesus is not just any person. And if Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, there's something more to this than we need to know. It's interesting. He's saying, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them. Later, in time, in Paul's gospel, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. That the Holy Spirit is the author of all scripture. So that when we open the words of scripture, we have the breath of God facing us. We have the aroma of his blessed breath facing us to receive it. So when Jesus says to his apostles, receive the Holy Spirit, he's saying, receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now there would be increasing measures of understanding by the apostles. But they already had the Old Testament. It was already there for them. The Old Testament, which was God-breathed also where the Holy Spirit was the ultimate author. So from Genesis to Revelation, we have the God breath of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself says, receive it. Receive all of it. So every time we come to Scripture, we're interacting with the will of God, with the Word of God, with the breath of God to enlighten us in every way necessary for salvation. So I want you to think about from now on, as you open the scriptures, it's just not words on a page, and I trust you know that. But it's what Jesus is getting at, receiving the testimony of the Holy Spirit who does not lie, who testifies to Jesus as Jesus testifies to himself, as the Father testifies to himself. Every part of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And so when we come, we come in a, in a frame of humility. We come with open ears so we might receive whatever he says. And so I hope that that creates a new love affair with the word of God. God is speaking to us through his word. Yes, it's on a page. Yes, there were human authors. But behind that was the breath of God and the infinite wisdom of God for the infinite timing of all that he did and the course of redemptive history. And he sends his son in the fullness of time and he'll send him again in the fullness of time. And that's what we're waiting for, that second coming of Christ. So, I hope that adds a sweetness to your time in the word. That you could almost hear Jesus saying to you, receive this word 
receive this word from the Holy Spirit that testifies to all things that are true. So that's the first thing I'd like for you to think about. But the other thing I was thinking about is how do we really receive the word? When I was very young, my dad loved me very much. I was the firstborn, and so I was doted on. And what he would do for Christmas was he would, uh, we'd go to bed, you know, Christmas Eve, and Christmas morning I would wake up and there is a train set on the, on, on, the, on the floor with these poles with a platform with a Christmas tree on top. And my father was into detail. I always loved this. He, he, we had an HO train set. It had a tunnel. It had a bridge. It had a spotlight. It had a station. And I thought, this is the coolest thing. I could sit there and watch the train go around, around, and around, and around. And there was a little box. It was a power box. If I wanted to turn it off, I could push the button. It's all done. If I wanted to hit the switch, it would go backwards. If I put my hand in front of the train, it would stop. I had that power over it. But that's a train set. That's an imitation of reality. Over the last two weeks, I went out to the horns. (laughs) They have a real train set in the backyard. And we went out and we saw four trains. What a, what, I mean, I don't, what kid, what, what kid wouldn't love that, but this adult loved it. And we go out there, and so as we're standing there, we get close to the track, and you can hear the engine, and you can hear the squealing of the wheels. And as we were sitting there, and Kevin would try to say something to me, and I had to raise my voice, and he had to raise his voice, because the sound was so thunderous. I thought, that is a lot of power. That is a lot of power. And we saw some, some debris that had been brushed aside by the train. If I was to stick my hand out in front of that train, it would be foolishness. The power of, 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 that, of that train was like 100 cars or more. If my car was stalled on the tracks, I'd have to get out of the car. As soon as I heard the train coming, it would just knock it out. And I think sometimes we think of the word of God like the train set. Well, I think I'll do this. I think I'll read that. I think I'll read this. I don't like to read that. You know, I don't want to hear about sin. But, you know, if I stood on the tracks of that real train, I said, I don't want to hear you. You know, I would be devastated. But that's what we have with the word of God. And God says, I want you to have the whole word. I don't want you to dabble in the word. This is not like a smorgasbord, but I'll say, I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take a little bit of that. It's all for you. It's all for your instruction, and it all leads to Christ. Now, I like smorgasborgs, but the Word of God is not a smorgasbord. The Word of God is not suggested reading. It is the divine revelation to man, and it's written in such a way that you can understand it. I know there's things that are a little bit more hard to understand than others, But God is the perfect, ultimate communicator. And in the Holy Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, we have a beautiful jigsaw puzzle about salvation in Christ. And you may say, I don't know how this piece fits. Welcome to the club. But over time, you'll start to understand it. We'll never perfectly understand it in this world. I'm still baby-stepping after 45 years. 
And if the Lord gave me 45 more years, I'd be 100 and something, but I'd still be baby-stepping. But the point is this, all of God's word is important. And we can't just rip out whatever we want. Because the word of God will either save you or it will destroy you. Just like the madness of me standing on the tracks and shaking my hand at the locomotor, it's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. It's the same thing with God's word. But he sent his word to save us and to lead us to Christ, the only hope that we have of salvation. And so I think it's important, every time we come to the word, whether it's in our private devotions, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's worship with God's people, we need to think that way. I know I need to zip my lip and get my ears open and start listening. And I humbly ask the Lord to help me. But he's kind and he gives us understanding into things we thought we'd never get. So that's just a preliminary. But what I'd like to do with this passage today is to look under two heads as far as why this is so important. The first head are the foundations of the Christian life that we see in verses 6, 1 to 2. And then we have... In verses 4 to 6, an inconceivable situation. An inconceivable situation. So first, the foundations of the Christian life, the writer here to the Hebrews says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are the foundations of the Christian life. These are the things that elders look for as we examine people to come to the Lord's table to see if there's some understanding of these things because these are the basics. And they are very important. And just like the towel that expands, they have an expansion to themselves too. They have a greater significance that we understand even at this point. But they're the preliminaries of understanding the faith. And so it's the foundation. We don't relay it. We don't do the same thing over and over again. We don't get baptized multiple times, Lord willing. You do it once and you move on. You look back to your baptism. You think about what it means, but you don't do it again. Because you start to understand greater implications of what it means. You start to understand greater implications of what the Lord's Supper means. But these are the foundations, and it would be ridiculous just to stay there. We know this in our own experience. When I was going through seminary, I had the privilege of taking two classes in Atlanta. And I had a place to stay. It wasn't as nice as a nest. But I had a place to stay while I studied in there. I studied with Howard Griffith, who was in our, our presbytery teaching at RTSDC, and Derek Thomas, who was a pastor down in South Carolina. And... As I would drive from the house to the seminary, there was this uh, shopping center going up. I I love architecture. So I drove by the first day, and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I saw the picture of what it's supposed to be like. You know, it was like a grocery store uh, shopping center. I'm all excited, you know, looking forward to seeing the men working and everything. I drive home. I drive out the next day. Same thing. Over the course of the week, I, I, I realized this isn't going anywhere. There's these cement posts. They're ugly. It was nothing like the picture that was expected to happen when they finished it up. And I found out they, they lacked funds and they couldn't finish it. That's what a Christian is like who's always doing the same things over and over again. 
who never really moves on to maturity what God has for them. Those, those foundational things are important, but they're meant to push you on. I've shared this with some of you. There's a traffic circle outside of the Walmart in Warrington. And uh, I, I came into traffic circles at the University of Maryland. There's a big mound at the University of Maryland that has an M on it. And one friend of mine who was involved with youth ministry, as I was, he, just for a lark, he went around the thing a hundred times. Okay? Now, that was a lark. I understand. But if his wife was pregnant and he had to get to the hospital, or if it was a, he was an ambulance driver, you wouldn't do that. It would have been a waste of time. But as so often I've seen in churches and individuals, they get up and they're moving forward and the, and the traffic circle is to move them on. They get stuck in the loop. And time is ticking away in their own life, in the life of the church. And they seem to know, it's so hard to get out of that loop and move on to your destination. But that's the ridiculousness of what's happening with these people. They, for some reason, they're so dull, they're so lazy, they're not paying attention to the means of grace. They're stuck in the loop. And that doesn't glorify God. Last example on your computer, I've had this happening more lately. You get that little circle, that rainbow circle spins. That doesn't help you. It wastes time. It wastes productivity. And the word of God is to make you move on. It's always there to make us move on to perfection. To overcome sin. To have greater victories in sin. Not to stay where we are. To stay babes in Christ. Well, there is one more illustration. I I hear the Olympics are on. I don't know if they are or not. In the past, I would have been watching them. But I've got a a better race to run. And a better kingdom to be a part of. But I used to be a sprinter. I know you have to use your imagination. I used to be a sprinter. <laughs> and, um, you know, you have these starting blocks. If you saw Chariots of Fire, the movie Chariots of Fire, back in that day, you know, they had a trowel and they had to dig it out and they could set it up whatever they wanted in the sand or whatever that was, cinder. But now they have starting blocks. Now, I haven't done sprints in a while, believe it or not. And, um, but they have these adjustable things so you can get it exactly right so that you can have the best performance going forward. But if you're in a race for a sprint and the guy raises, you know, on your mark, set, bang, and you go, hey, wow, I like, I like these starting blocks. These are, really, these are really cool. They're adjustable. And the race is going on. And you're wasting your time talking about the starting blocks. And so it's so important. You know, it took me, <laughs> again, it was later in life, I realized God wants me to move on. And there's means of grace to make us move on. It glorifies God when we grow. I know we have, lull, we have lulls at times. That's, that's normal. Everybody does. But we're to move on through the means of grace. And so we need to pay attention to these things. And it might be a sign that we really don't understand the foundations if we're stuck in them. <laughs> you know? It's great to build a foundation for a house, but you might want to build the rest of the house. And so we need to realize that the word of God is always pushing us on, moving us on. Even as a young Christian, I I thought, man, I feel like I can't take a breath with Paul. He's always, he's stretching forward. He wants to get to the finish line. He wants to finish well. I was like, I want to take a nap. But I need to repent because God is calling us forward. So we have these foundations, and we're not to lay them again. We're to move on to maturity. And again, in the case of these people, there's something going on that's not right. 
we have an inconceivable situation. Verses 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt, to contempt. This list that that we have there are experiences of the true Christian life. These things are things that are the believer's reality in some measure. And for somebody to have those things and then to turn away, there is a problem. There is a big problem, but the problem is not with God. And the problem is not with the means of grace. The problem is with the soil. And the soil's evaluation of themselves. These are the aspects, the wonderful glories of what it means to be a Christian, to understand these things, to taste. It's not just like taste like that. It's like eat it, enjoy it, imbibe it. To say you've done all that and then to turn away. May God be true, but every man a liar. He never lies. His word is the plumb line of truth. The problem is not with the Son of God. The problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with the soil. It seems to have been impenetrable. It was an imitator for a while, but it was not the reality. It was not the reality. And so we see that this inimaginable, you cannot have all those things and eventually turn away. And what is the writer saying? If you say that, you're giving a new story on the Son of God. You're saying he was not the Savior of the world. You're saying he was not worth following. You're, you're crucifying him again. You're joining with those who are around the cross that mocked him and thought of him as nothing. It's just a man. You save some money, save yourself. You're joining your voices with the evil one and all the other liars. When you say, eh, he's nobody. After all that time, you professed his name. How horrific is that? How horrific is that? To give lip service to the doctrines of grace. You're an imposter. In in John's first epistle, he makes this so clear because he was seeing people doing this. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There is no sitting on the fence with God. There is no imitation. There's no faking it. The writer to the Hebrews says earlier in chapter 4 that the word of God can discern between joints and marrow. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And why is that? Because God is the author of those words. And He knows exactly where every one of us is today in Christ. There's no deception on His part. He knows who's in Christ and who's not. And He gives us His word to sort it out. For some, they might think, I thought I was a Christian. I'm not a Christian. The word of God tells me I'm not a Christian. How do I come to how do I become a Christian? Come to Christ. Do what the author says. Put Christ before your eyes. Look again. Make sure you understand who he is. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't walk away from the faith. And so you're, you're mocking him. You're saying he's not who he said he was. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit of truth. Because you're not giving him the attention and the honor that's due to him. And then we have this thing about you're mocking him and bringing dishonor on him. Who is this one we're talking about? The Lord Jesus. Three times in the scripture, God the Father speaks from heaven. He breaks through and talks into the world. My beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. I love my children. I've even told my children, don't go to that church, go to that church. Because I love them. And I want them to grow in Christ. And I had someone do something to one of my children. I didn't think I would respond this way. I had something, someone do something to my child. And they're adults. You've, some of them have been here. And I was furious. Why did you treat my child like that? Why, why did you treat him like dirt? Or her like dirt? It's my son. I mean, I know he's a sinner or my daughter's a sinner. How could you treat him like that or her like that? Now, they're sinners, but with God the Father, it's his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Listen to him. And you say, eh. We have these terrifying words in Hebrews 10, 29 to 31. How much more punishment? do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, supposedly, and has outraged the spirit of grace? So you're offending the, the Father, you're offending the Son, you're offending the Holy Spirit. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The whole point of that is to be awakened to see where do I stand with Christ? To say to the Father, eh, to the Son, His beloved Son, who He sent so you might be saved, eh. It's offensive. It's offensive to the Father. And you will have much more punishment. These are the words of Scripture. It's one thing to be an unbeliever and be uh, a reclu- uh, reckless in your life, a profligate. It's another thing to profess Christ and turn away from him. When the Lord Jesus was about to be betrayed, he says, it has to go according to the scriptures about the Son of Man. But woe to him by who it goes. It would have been better for him if he'd never been born This is part of the God-breathed word that we're to receive and think through. Never been born. I mean, 
You know, the Jehovah's Witness think you get annihilated. And just logically, you're nothing. You come into being, you become nothing again. It doesn't make sense. There's no punishment. There's no fear. But Judas came into being, and he, he was lavished with Christ's love, and he betrays him. Much more punishment. Much more punishment. Now, I know these things are unsettling. The book of Hebrews has always been a sobering book. But we know, you know, he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And the writer to the Hebrews, just like I am, is speaking to a crowd of people, and I do not know your hearts. And the writer to the Hebrews, as enlightened as he was, and incredibly enlightened with the Old Testament particularly, he did not know the hearts of those to whom he spoke to. It's a matter of the wheat and the tares. And at the end, there are going to be people we thought were believing all along. This is not to trouble you. It's not to trouble you because the Holy Spirit gives you assurance. But it is to awaken us. It's not idle words. And so there are some who are slacking and they're believing. And this is a wake-up call for them. There are some who are imitators, who are fakes. And this is to enlighten them to their peril. I've heard of stories of men who became Christians in the pulpit or as pastors. It's amazing. They, they got through exams. They got to be a, a preacher. And they're converted afterwards. Because they were, they were a fake up until a certain point, And then God had mercy. So these words are very, very serious. And they're very, very sobering, but... The Holy Spirit knows exactly how they're supposed to hit us. It's not to doubt the work of Christ at all. In fact, it fortifies the work of Christ. You know, we, we looked at this the part last week about the thorns and the thistles, you know, the, the, what was coming up out of the ground when all these means of grace were lavished on these people, just like Judas. And there's thorns and thistles? That's not right. God's word is all powerful. You're, you're going to start growing to some degree. There's got to be real life to some degree, even if it's hidden. And the Holy Spirit knows that I do not. And so there's this call to pay attention to these words and to examine ourselves to say, who am I? Am I a believer who's slacking and I need to repent and move on? Get out of the circle and move on to your destination for what God has called you for. Or have I been a fake all the time and I've been spinning around the circle? I really have no idea what the faith is about. But we have the word of God. God breathed, speaking of Christ. And what does the writer do? He brings our faces back to Christ. He keeps turning us back to Christ. He keeps turning us back to Christ. And next week, Lord willing, we'll hear about Melchizedek. We'll see in such a more grander way how God has loved us in Christ. That Jesus is not like one of those in the Levitical priesthood. And one of the problems was Levitical priesthood was based on living and dying, living and dying. They couldn't do it forever. But Jesus doesn't die anymore. (laughs) He, He is the high priest forever. Whoever lives to intercede. So beloved, 
The word of God is here. I cannot do the work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Praise God. But there is a living God with a living spirit who breathes life into those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And the question is, are you one of them? If so, it's time to move on. And if not, it's it's time to wake up and see your peril. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that is true, it never lies. Um, As we read in the Old Testament in Joshua, as Joshua rehearsed all that God had done, he said not one word of the Lord failed. It wasn't going to be that first generation that would inherit it, but the people inherited it. So, Father, we ask that we would be about this great calling that we have in Christ. We ask that you would grant us grace to see where we are. Even for the most lively among us, even among the most fruitful among us, we need to keep going and bear more fruit. But there may be those who are lagging for one reason or another. We ask you would clarify our eyesight by the Holy Spirit, that we would see Christ clearly and what he's done and see how he, he saves us to the, to the end for glory. And if there be there's those here now who are outside of Christ, that they might too embrace Christ and follow him by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.